This week on WealthTrack, the Motley Fool stock advisor portfolios have beaten the market over the years. But co-founder Tom Gardner says for most of us, indexing is the way to go. What's best for investors is next on Consuelo Mack WealthTrack. Hello and welcome to this edition of WealthTrack. I'm Consuelo Mack. We've been receiving many emails from viewers recently about the merits of passive versus active investing, a topic we have been covering over the years, but more frequently recently as more research is coming in. A lot of people threw in the towel on active when they heard the results of the latest SPIVA U.S. scorecard report from S&P Dow Jones Indices. Here is a 15-year track record for domestic equity funds. As the report notes, the longer time horizon provides a complete market cycle to measure effectiveness of managers across all categories. The figures were stark. 92% of large-cap U.S. stock fund managers, 95% of mid-cap, and 93% of small-cap managers trailed their respective benchmarks. The comparisons didn't improve when you traveled overseas either. The majority of managers across all international equity categories underperformed their benchmarks as well. Another stunning trend was how many funds disappeared over the 15-year period. More than 58% of domestic equity funds were either merged or liquidated, and almost 52% of global international equity funds were. Is the case now closed? Does passive win? This week's guest is a successful market-beating active manager who believes passive is best for most, but active rules for some, especially those attracted to his Motley Fool investing community. He is Tom Gardner, CEO and co-founder with his older brother David of The Motley Fool, which they started as a small printed newsletter for family and friends in 1993, turned into a website, thefool.com, in 1994, and is now a global multimedia financial services company offering research and advice to millions of individuals through its website, podcasts, newsletters, books, columns, and wealth advisory services. Their stated mission is to help the world invest better. Their Motley Fool Stock Advisor newsletter portfolio has crushed the S&P 500 since its 2002 inception, with 17.8% annualized total returns versus the market's 7% returns. It combines Tom's more conservative value approach and David's swing for the fences growth approach. Both brothers believe in investing in great businesses with strong financials, managements, and cultures. Motley Fool itself was ranked the number one place to work in the U.S. for small and medium-sized companies in 2014 and 2015. I began the interview by asking Gardner why his first piece of advice for new Motley Fool investors is buy an index fund. Well, because I think it's the greatest uh, financial offering that's ever been created. I mean, I believe that Jack Bogle has probably had the biggest impact on investors of any person in human history, Um, far greater than Warren Buffett's impact. And I'm a huge Warren Buffett fan, obviously, but uh, the size and scope of what Vanguard has created and other indexing alternatives that have come after is awesome and transformative, and it's the cheapest way, the most tax-efficient way to get exposure and diversification in your portfolio. So uh, it's a great place to start, and even though it could stop you from doing business with the Motley Fool, we're the first ones to say, if you want to end there, if you just want to index, 
that's great and we have fulfilled our purpose of helping the world invest better by getting you into that great solution first. Yeah. So for, for many people, again, quoting you, active investing is not worth trying even. Why, why not? Why isn't it even worth trying for many people? Well, uh, many people aren't interested in the subject, so that would be the first reason. Many people just, this is like dental work to them more than a great adventure in learning and understanding business and capitalism and how to allocate capital and manage risk and learn about your temperament. For many people, this is something they're not actually doing. So a number of people are going into retirement with far less money than they're, right. they're going to need given medical technology and how long they could live. So I, I'd say if active investing requires that you spend time and think about things, uh, for many people, that's not, a good, that's not a good approach. So what is better about buying an index fund, especially considering that everyone else is doing it now, mm. too? And one of the things that you know, great investors are usually contrarian thinkers, they're mm. independent. So here you are mm. saying, do what the herd's doing. Mm. It's, it's, it's pathetic, really. It is there's pathetic. No, there's no intellectual curiosity to it at all. Yeah. I'd say that the number one reason is because the fees are so low. So when you're going to actively manage funds, you're paying 50 basis points, uh, 100, you're paying 1% per year, right. let's say, on that fund. Those funds are trading um, well more than 100% of their assets each year. Mm -hmm. So you're getting tax hits that are not published and should be. Um, mutual funds should be required to publish their after-tax returns for people so that we can see what's really happening there. So the index fund, by virtue, I mean, it's essentially like what Amazon is doing to the retail industry. That's what's happening. Uh, sure, you can have some more colorful experiences by getting your car and driving out to a store and all the rest, but you get a broader selection, you get better convenience, you get lower prices, you get home delivery from Amazon, and that sort of convenience is what Vanguard is doing to the financial industry. And one more question is, as far as what's happening with the indexing. If, if, if you look at this year, for instance, 53% of the gains in the S&P 500 were driven by five stocks. And, and the <coughs> stocks, you know, this is their all tech stocks. <coughs> and they're Apple, you know, Alphabet, uh, Microsoft, Amazon, and Facebook. So they accounted for 53% of the S&P 500's <coughs> gains this year. <coughs> That is concentration. Does that concern you? Well, I mean, at first it feels good, not to hug myself, but at The Motley Fool, we've owned a lot of those stocks for right. a very long period of time. And you know that our orientation is to buy stocks and hold them for five to 10 years. So they've been great investments. Do I think that those are the great investments of the future, the next five and 10 baggers that somebody can put in their portfolio and sit back and enjoy? I don't. Do I think that they're going to be poor performers over the next five to 10 years? I don't think so, but I don't think these are the great investments of the future now because of the size of those businesses. So it is concerning. Anytime there is concentration right. like that, it is concerning. There is also, with that concern, correspondingly, a tremendous amount of opportunity in small cap companies in the U.S., uh, forgotten, left behind, well-run small businesses. Uh, some of them will become the eagles of the future that soar and become 10 billion, 15 billion, 20 billion dollar companies, but some of them are market cap 750 million and they'll be four times more valuable in seven years and that's a really, really great investment. So I think small caps and I think getting outside the US are really 
um, uh, intelligent moves at this point. But I wouldn't be cashing out of my great US tech companies. I, I don't want to pay those taxes. And I think those businesses are well run and will continue to become more bond-like and dividend-paying-like than great growth investments of the future. So Facebook is one of the largest holdings for Motley Fool, is that right? In the portfolio that I manage, the everlasting portfolio, right. Motley Fool One, it is about a 12% position. And of the companies you named, Facebook is my favorite at this point. Um, it, I, we started buying it below 25. Um, we've been adding all the way up. Here it is uh, north of 140. It's about a $400 billion market cap. In general, I don't like to have very large positions in large cap companies with a relative above average uh, multiple of cash flows mm -hmm. in the valuation. But I think Facebook, ha my bet is that Facebook will become the first sustainable trillion dollar market cap. There may be other companies that sort of touch it, move above it, but Facebook is completely dominant in social connections around the world. Uh, the social connections we have online actually are somewhat addictive. I mean, there's almost like an addictive caffeine in the morning type relationship that people have with Facebook that they have with Starbucks. I think that's going to be pretty impenetrable. And with Mark Zuckerberg, you have somebody who 20 years from now will be Jeff Bezos's age. So, so he's, he's, he's the dominant you know, voting control yeah. leader of that business who's going to be there for a long time. And, and, and talk about that, because one of the things that you focus on at Motley Fool in, in building, you know, buying companies is that you think that an entrepreneur-led company is a, is a really good thing. Why, why would you favor entrepreneur-led companies? Well, if you look at the data, um, uh, owner-operated businesses in the public markets outperform the market uh, by a couple percentage points and per year, and that's a huge gap. And I think there are a couple good reasons for that. First of all, most of the founders that are CEOs of public market companies have long since made more money than they need. So why are they still going to work? If, if many people were given the opportunity to walk away from their job because now they're worth $50 million, I think, unfortunately, most people would walk away from their job. What we have in the leaders of owner-operated public companies are people who are so passionate about what they've created. They're putting their ent entire professional life behind it. So I'm not big on professional management. I don't like the agent-operated companies where somebody comes in and gets stock options for four or five or six years. Mm -hmm. And toward the end of that tenure, the fifth or sixth year, that CEO starts acting like a venture capitalist who has an out that they have to optimize quarterly earnings to try and get the stock as high as possible and pass the mess to the next person. I want Howard Schultz, who's there indefinitely. Starbucks, I, right. I want Toby Luca at a company called Shopify, who I think is going to be there for an extremely long time. It's a small cap. It's been a great stock over the last couple of years. So I really like, um, yeah, the, the, the ownership mentality that I think a founder brings in the public markets. And uh, gosh, I think if you just indexed off founder-run companies in the public markets, you're going to do very well. Is there an index like that yet? Uh, there are there are uh, funds uh -huh. that are that are out there. Um, uh, of course, we prefer the Motley Fool approach of buying right. the stocks because, in general, I don't want to pay an annual management fee. One of the things we do at the Motley Fool is contact leadership of every company, and for the most part, now twenty years into being fools out there in the world, some people have heard of us, and we generally get an opportunity to sit down. And so, I'm talking to the founders about their business, about their industry, other great companies in their industry about how they run their company in ways that we can learn at The Motley Fool and how we run our business. So I would not be interested in investing in a founder-led index fund or any index fund. I've never owned an index fund, even though I think it's the best first investment for mm -hmm. people. And so and at Motley Fool, so your, your mission uh, when you started in 1993 and, and launched MotleyFool.com in 1994 was to help make people better investors and help make yourself better investors. So, you know, 20 some years later, has it worked? Well, I think that we share that mission. No, we do. Absolutely. So, well tried. So, mm -hmm. and, I, and I think you, you're making an impact. I think we're making an impact. 
um, there's a lot of forces that work against it, whether it's financial media that's more interested in the stocks of this week right. uh, to buy or what stocks in the month of May over the last five years. These industries have done well if you're just going to hold them for the month of May. So all of that noise and all of the transactional nature of Wall Street, there, there's a lot of uh, momentum in those zones that's hard to counter. At the same time, I think through the work you're doing, through the use of the internet, the ability to create communities where people can learn and understand a subject they weren't taught in school, unfortunately. Yeah. I do feel good. I mean, I still think of our company as being in the bottom of the second inning. I mm -hmm. don't think of, uh, we're taking a victory lap and we've done really well. I think we've, we've achieved some very nice things. I am proud that in our 1996 book, which we've already talked about mm -hmm. ad nauseum here, but we advocated using the index fund as your first place. And right. very few active managers talked about it. They, most active managers were mocking indexing, or they felt threatened by it. In our case, it's, hey, that's the foundation, and now let's try and beat it. But let's be totally transparent. Let's look at how we do after fees, after taxes, and see if we can do better than average and hold us accountable. And if we can't, don't subscribe to our services. You yeah. shouldn't be paying us. So thankfully, we have. And I think I see the light bulbs going off in more and more people's minds. Uh, to look at investing as their portfolio as a business, and if you're mm -hmm. entrepreneurial, to find ways to get better returns by being curious, learning, and and uh, and learning from the masters. So, Tom, building a stock portfolio. What's your goal in building a stock portfolio? Well, my personal what you, what goal. You, what are you trying to do, and what are you trying to do for other? pools for subscribers? I'd say it starts with performance, mm -hmm. uh, but it's not performance over six months or a year. Uh, I'm mandated. Uh, I, I place that rule on myself of holding all my investments a minimum of five years. And many of my stocks I'll hold 10, 15 years. Um, you start to accept these businesses will see the valuation get dunked 30 to 40 percent a couple times each decade. Mm -hmm. It's going to happen. It happens to Berkshire. It's happened to Starbucks is up 23% a year since 1992, but multiple times the stock has been down 50%. Right. 2008, 2009, it was down more than 75%. So in my view, to build a great portfolio, you have to set it up so that you can have those 50% price cuts, even though the business is continuing to function well. So Right, five years minimum. Five years minimum. Right. So some losers we have trail on, and I, I kind of wish we could sell them in year three or four, but the discipline of learning from those businesses and not putting your mistakes in the rearview mirror and forgetting that you shouldn't have bought shares of a company that has a big private equity owner uh, running that company in the public so market. So you actually will hold on to stocks just to make the five year that you don't think you should, that you're not that interested in? There's a great investor in our community named Tom Engel who says, you should never sell out of any position entirely. These are stories. If you're here to okay. learn, these are stories and why close the book at chapter seven just because things weren't working well for you. Let's see if the management can turn that around. Let's see what happens over the next 20 years. And let's learn the lessons of how they're making those decisions to, to right the ship. So yeah, I love, I don't think I'll, I'd, I'd prefer to never sell any position. Mm -hmm. And Warren Buffett's data shows that had he never sold a stock since the age of 11, he'd have substantially more money and Berkshire shareholders would be better for it. Well, so would you know yours and, and David's portfolios if you had never sold any stocks. I remember that the performance would have been even better. And the mathematics right? of that is yeah. that Human nature, I mean, the basic psychological research shows the pain of loss is three times the joy of gain. So we remember our losers. We feel our losers. We hate our losers. Yeah. But even great investors are going to be wrong three or four out of every 10 investments. Um, either they won't beat the market or they'll outright lose money. That, what was, yeah, what's well, what, Fitbit, what the biggest Fitbit hasn't jobs. been a good one recently. Fitbit. Fitbit hasn't right. been a good, um, you know, there, there are some great things that Fitbit brings to the table, but overall nobody's really cracked the code on the smart watch and nobody's really cracked the code on 
wearables yet. Um, there's okay. a lot of buzz about that, but, but for the most still, part, people put the Fitbit watch it. on, wear it for three weeks, and then forget where it is, and that's kind of what happened to me with my Fitbit. But I continue and to hold to it. Yeah. Yes, and I continue to hold it uh, and learn from it. But the beauty of our losers is that every day that they lose, they're becoming less and less relevant in our portfolio. So your okay. losers and my losers are probably one half percentage point positions in our overall portfolio. Mm -hmm. Even if they doubled, they're not going to be consequential. So one of the things that you tell fools when they're ready to sign up for the Motley Fool, one of the services, is that, uh, that you know, they expect that it's only, what, 10 to 15 percent of the portfolio is going to drive 80 percent of the performance. So you're holding, quote unquote, a lot of losers, or at least you're not holding, you're holding a very small amount of winners that are going to make the difference. And that is really true if you have the time horizon that we have. So if you're holding stocks a year, you're not going to have those breakouts. But if you buy shares of Facebook or you buy shares of a company that I love, Arista Networks, uh, and that business goes on to compound above average returns for 15 years, that is going to grow, particularly if you add at points along the way, that's going to grow so to become a larger and larger position. Talk about Arista Networks. What, what, what is Arista Networks? Arista Networks is such an incredibly, a beautiful story and a, a unique story. It's a Silicon Valley-based company mm -hmm. that's competing with Cisco. It's software-defined networking, so they're essentially, they're, they're, they're allowing us to access Netflix on mobile devices, whereas Cisco had really built all their networking technology up around desktops and having servers in physical locations. So this is a cloud company. And, you know, but next the, generation. And here's the beauty of the story, though. They built their business for four years without launching a product. They self-funded it. They never took any venture capital money. When they went public, uh, insiders owned more than 50% of the business. Very unusual in Silicon Valley. Uh, one of the founders, Andy Bechtelsheim, was the first investor in Google. He wrote a $100,000 check to Larry and Sergey. He's one of the founders of Sun Microsystems. So they have incredible people. And I sat down with Jayshree Yulal, who's the CEO of Arista Networks, and she's, she's, she's one of my five all-time favorite CEOs. And when you asked me earlier, what are you trying to do when you build a portfolio? Right. Uh, a very personal answer for me is I'm trying to learn more about the world. I'm trying to invest in companies that are going to teach me something about where the world's going, uh, how to lead, uh, how to think about risk management. Um, so if I'm looking at Arista Networks or Starbucks or Facebook, I'm wanting to meet the leaders of these companies as much as possible, learn how they think, and learn how to find more people like them leading businesses. So I'd, I'm much more interested in investing in entrepreneurs than I am in stock valuations or financial metrics or or stock filters that I yeah. that you could run online. Take us a little bit into the, the small cap universe. What you're, how you're investing in small caps, and you need a lot more of them to make an impact in your portfolios, right? When looking at small caps, the first factor I look at, beyond whether it's owner operated, right. is the top line growth rate. If you're going to get a great long term investment, you need customer demand. You can't have a business that's growing the top line at four percent with a market cap of six hundred million dollars. It, it's hard to imagine how that's going to become a $6 billion company over a time frame that would make it an attractive investment. So I like businesses that are growing the top line 20%, 30%, 50%. If you look at, mentioned Starbucks or a great company like Whole Foods, if you look at those businesses during their first 10 years in the public markets, their average sales growth rate per year is like 35% a year for wow. a decade. So many value investors would not even allow that possibility that a company could grow at that rate. And many short-term traders wouldn't even look to think that that would matter. And that creates the inefficiency in the market to be a 10-year holder of a great small cap growth company and to look for, wow, people, people love what they're selling right now. If it's sustainable with a great culture and a great founder running it, this could be a great stock. Right. So owner-operated revenues of double digit or what you said, 20, 30, 40 percent. What, what's the other... 
criteria. Uh, another more qualitative almost. I mean, there right. is there is a there is a um, measurable way online with services like Glassdoor. Mm -hmm. um, I like to see how is that culture developing? What do employees say who are working there? I don't believe in shareholder activism. I don't believe in looking at just one stakeholder and thinking, gosh, this is what it's all about. Or if I just, if they just succeed here, everything else will be fine. I like to find very balanced companies. So I'm not particularly enthusiastic about what's happening to a company like Whole Foods right now with shareholder activists coming mm -hmm. in. I, I'd like to see stakeholder activists. I'd like to see somebody come into Whole Foods and say, hey, how can we make sure employees customers, shareholders, all the communities they operate in, right. that they're all going to be lifted up. And I find founders generally have that reputational desire to see all stakeholders listed for a host of reasons. But activist so, investors don't really care about that. They don't care at all. No, they just want to be pay attention to the shareholder. Exactly. Right. And they're going to take a couple year time horizon and they're probably going to lay off a lot of people and they're going yep. to split the business up in different directions. So there's a big fragmentation process that goes on with with shareholder activists and private equity firms. Not all of them, but most of them in that system I don't think are real value creating for society. So I want to find a great culture. I want a business that's growing with a founder who's there, um, working every day, passionate about the mission of that business. People love coming to work. They're going to be the ones that are driving value for customers. And Motley Fool ranks very high in the glass door surveys, I might add. Well, yeah. and, and why do we? Because we sit and study these great companies and take their ideas right. and, 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 and deploy them and test yeah. them. So, and then, and then if there were another factor, I'd just say, of course, I want to see cash flow growing. I'm not really that interested in income statement earnings. I'm much more interested in owner earnings and looking at the uh, cash flow, the business, depreciation, amortization, putting in the context of the capital uh, expenditure investments that they're making and really understanding are they getting rates of return on their investments that are above average and that can be reinvested, right? You can have a great two-year period or three-year period, but is there a large enough market opportunity that this great CEO, she's going to be able to keep deploying capital in this for the next five, seven, ten years and everyone loves working there and I'm just going to ride. I'm going to get on their airplane and not pretend that I'm the one steering it. I'm mm -hmm. going to sit 20 rows back and put my headphones on and hopefully watch a great movie and let them run the business that I'm invested in right. and accept that um, sometimes we'll have some rocky landings and investments that don't work, but we're going to find some great companies with that methodology. International space. What's the, how, how are you approaching finding great international small caps? Same criteria, yeah. company by company, and then you look at the marketplace and see which markets have really not been keeping up with the U.S. Uh, equity right. performance. And final question, Tom, one investment for a long-term diversified portfolio we should never put all of our eggs in one basket, but... <laughs> put them all in this basket, no. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, what's a great um, investment, do you think? I, I, I thought of a small cap that's in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, uh, Paycom Software. It's an investment um, uh, that we have recommended at The Motley Fool, ticker symbols PAYC. It started as a payroll processing company that's software as a service, so it's the SaaS model of paying a subscription for the tools that they're developing. In this case, small and mid-sized companies are paying to get payroll processing now, human resources and talent management and other tools so that you can run aspects of your culture as a small and mid-sized company based on the tools that they're creating. And you're paying a subscription for it. They're founder-led. Uh, they came public, uh, I think they were founded in 1998. They came public a couple of years ago. It's been a great stock already. And this is really a David Gardner, my older brother's mm -hmm. principle, um, which I've realized over time is so right mm -hmm. and that is we should really be looking to add to our winners and not of course we want to find the company before anyone else has and ride it all the way up but in many cases stocks have already doubled and tripled and you might be sitting there right. thinking well, how can I do that no, nowhere in society nowhere as a consumer do I want to be buying something that's three times more expensive than it was 
18 months ago. So it's very hard to get our minds around that. But that is not always, but often an indicator that that business is thriving. Tom Gardner, such a treat to have you here on Wealth Track. Thanks so Thank much you. for being with us. At the close of every Wealth Track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is pay attention to the culture of the firms you invest with. Do they act as fiduciaries and put their clients' interests above their own? Do they have a clearly stated mission and investment objectives? Are they committed to disciplined investing for the long term? In other words, are they built to last? Do they pay attention to costs? Are they honest about their mistakes and humble about their successes? Whether passive or active, you want to invest with top quality firms dedicated to investment excellence and client interests. Next week, we will sit down for a rare interview with leading Wall Street economist Nancy Lazar to discuss the state of the economic recovery, now one of the longest on record. What's the outlook? In the meantime, to see more of our interview with The Motley Fool's Tom Gardner, please visit the extra feature on our website and tell us what you think on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for watching. Have a happy Mother's Day weekend and make the week ahead a profitable and a productive one.